0: So our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the New Testament book of Hebrews. We have been journeying through this 2,000 year old sermon. And uh, we have been studying particularly the question, what is faith? What is faith? And Hebrews chapter 11 answers that question uh, by giving us a gallery of um, of our spiritual ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, and this morning we're going to look at um, uh, we're going to look at an unlikely spiritual ancestor. Hebrews chapter eleven, verses thirty and thirty-one. Hebrews chapter eleven, verses thirty and thirty-one. I've got the verses posted uh, on the screen. Um, I want to put a tag on this message: the gospel. According to Rahab. Say that with me. The gospel according to Rahab. One more time. The gospel according to Rahab. Hear these words. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, having received the spies with peace. This is God's word. So last week, when I watched Fairleigh Dickinson upset Purdue at the NCAA tournament, (laughs) I thought to myself, now there's a sermon Right? There's a sermon. And so here's the sermon. The sermon is this. We're not that good at evaluating others. I mean, we feel great about our brackets, and then the tournament starts. Now, you may recall that uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University FDU. You may recall that FDU measured the shortest team in the NCAA. I'm not talking about the shortest team in the tournament. I mean the shortest team in the NCAA. You may recall that. You may also recall that Purdue uh, logged in as the tallest in the NCAA. Not in the tournament. In the NCAA. You may recall that. You may recall Purdue's status as a Power 5 school. You may recall FDU's place in the Northeast Conference. You, you know the, the, the Northeast Conference. <laughs> you may recall that FDU was not even supposed to make it to the dance. They, they got in on a technicality. okay. Yet, David beat Goliath. <laughs> and, and several Goliaths have fallen this march right it's madness <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so here's the sermon we're not that good at evaluating others we're not that good at assessing worth we're, we 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 are we're let's just say it own it we are too easily sold by the height of a power forward we're we're too easily uh, sold by a program's budget We we like curb appeal. That's what we like. We look at the outside. God doesn't. God doesn't. He sees the heart. Ah, yeah, yeah. What a sermon! I think I'll preach that sermon. Right, and then I recalled it's already been preached, huh? In the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A 90-year-old woman gives birth to a son. Huh? A, a kidnapped and abused brother becomes prime minister of Egypt. Okay? A, a, a small shepherd boy becomes king while the tallest and obvious candidate gets rejected. A tax collector gets grace but a religious leader remains sinful. Uh, a mustard seed grows and becomes the largest plant. A little bit of yeast makes the dough rise. Smallest school beats the tallest school. See, Yeah, there's a servant there. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. That's what God does. And how does he do that? By faith, by faith, by faith. Yeah, yeah, I confess what I'm about to preach to you has already been preached. It was preached to a little church 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. And it's a sermon about how God uses unlikely people and unlikely means to accomplish his mighty will work. Would you like to hear that sermon again? Yeah, me too. I need to hear that sermon again. And today's sermon is from Hebrews 11 verses 30 and 31. You, you can't find two more different people than Rahab the prostitute and the people of Israel under Joshua. You can't. And yet both showed enduring faith in the one true God. And that's what united them. That's what united them. And their lives challenge us to keep faith in the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't shrink back. Don't quit. Keep enduring one day at a time. One moment at a time, viewing hardship as a pathway to peace. That's what the preacher to the Hebrew congregation was saying 2,000 years ago, and that's our message today. It is. So what I want to do today is I want us to, so today is a tell the story, make the point sermon. That's what it is. All right. Uh, I, I want to tell or refresh our memories about the story of Rahab, the prostitute, and her dealings with Israel. And uh, and while I'm I'm finishing up this little preview here, you might just take your your uh, Bibles and just hold in readiness Joshua chapter two and Joshua chapter six because Hebrews eleven thirty and thirty one. Uh, uh, stem from Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6. I want us to tell the story and make the point. I want want to rehearse the story of Rahab the prostitute and her dealings with Israel concerning the city of Jericho. And then I, I want us to see how their enduring faith in the one true God moves us and motivates us to endure in faith with our own lives. Tell the story, make the point. That's where we're going today. So, so here we are in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2 in the Old, old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Hebrews 11, 13 and 31 refer to Joshua chapters 2 and 6. So Moses has died and God has chosen Joshua to lead Israel into the land of promise. And Joshua sent two spies to gather intelligence on the city of Jericho. And Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says, Joshua the son of Nun sent two uh, men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Then verse 1 says, They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there now why there wow i'm glad the phone rang well that's a (laughs) thank you i needed that distraction i just need that because i you know uh the commentators uh have almost everything to say about why there so so um so let's be generous to the spies okay let's be generous to the spies Um, Uh, They're spies so so that's going to be the perfect place to be undetected because there'd be other men there and they could just kind of blend into the crowd so to speak Uh, yet they weren't that good because they were still detected Do you see that. Yeah, that's what we learned there in verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, their cover has been blown. And so, so Joshua 2, 2 says, Locals saw them and reported them. The king then sent his troops to Rahab's house. Hand them over. Hand them over. And in Joshua chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Rahab tells not just one lie, but three lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, some men were here, but I don't know where they're from. That's lie number one. Right? Then she says, but they're not here anymore. That's lie number two. And, and then she says, and I don't know where they went, uh, but if you hurry, you might be able to catch them, which is, when you think about that, right? I don't know where they are, but if you hurry, you might be able to catch them, and then they just leave, all right? And verse 7 says that the king's men quickly left in hot pursuit uh, somewhere along the Jordan River, all right? Now, um, I, I, I want to talk about this now because if I don't, then I may get con. Uh, uh, questioned out in the foyer about this, and so let's just talk about this now. Uh, it would be easy to discuss situational ethics here, right? So is you know is the point that it's okay to, to lie? Is, you know, is it ever okay? And I, I like, and and you might know this is not the first time a situation like this appears in Scripture. If you go back to Exodus chapter one, you'll be reminded of the midwives who were told to kill the Hebrew baby boys, but they lied about it, okay? And so so let's just talk about this for a minute. And I'll just, uh, I'll preface this by saying I could be wrong, but let me just put it this way. There are rare cases when people forfeit their right to know the truth. There are rare cases when people forfeit their right to know the truth. So I'm thinking of 1943 when the Nazis began rounding up Jews in Italy, they invaded hospitals, they dragged Jewish patients uh, patients off to the death camps, Uh, and yet there was one section in the hospital where the Nazis did not enter. They did not enter the space where patients had contracted Syndrome K. Syndrome K. a highly contagious tuberculosis-like disease with no cure. At least that's what the doctors told the Nazis, okay? And, and when they explained the disease to the soldiers and what, what lay behind the closed doors, none of them dared to go in, okay? The truth is, syndrome K was a made-up disease by the doctors, by one doctor in particular, who told the refugees to hack and cough loudly when the soldiers passed by. And the doctor later said in an interview, um, they fled like rabbits, those (laughs) Nazis, okay? And that's how, that's how a hundred Jews escaped death, okay? And that's why I say, there are rare cases when people forfeit their right to know the truth. That at least to me seems to be what's happening in Exodus 1 and Joshua chapter 2. Okay? And by the way, lying about why you took your day off, or <laughs> or my dog ate my homework doesn't really fit under this, this that I've just explained. Okay? All right. <laughs> okay. So so I I just felt like I I needed to discuss that. But I want you to know, I want you to know this, that, that I'm not so sure that those questions really existed to the original audience. I mean, there's nothing in the text that indicates that. What I'm saying is that neither the author of Joshua nor the preacher to the Hebrews wrote to defend situational ethics. They just didn't. Why did they write? They wrote to affirm a pagan sinner who took a faith-based risk grounded on the Word of God. That's why they wrote. So, So, albeit imperfectly, Rahab acted in faith. And I find that remarkable because Rahab was a doomed woman In a doomed profession, living in a doomed city, when she heard and responded to to word of God's mighty works. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, Rahab tells the spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How'd she know that? By faith. That's how she knew that. Rahab said, we heard about the Red Sea. We heard that was that was that was a generation ago. We heard about the Red Sea. We heard about what your people did to the two Amorite kings. We heard about that. And then Joshua chapter 2 verse 11 says, "This is Rahab, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath." Now, that's what I call a confession of faith. And note Joshua 2, 11. As soon as we heard, we, who's we? The city of Jericho. All the inhabitants. So they all heard, and they all heard the same thing. They heard the same thing, but only Rahab believed. Only Rahab. She had heard of God's mighty acts on behalf of his elect nation of Israel, and something awakened inside of her. I believe. I I want God. I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of this house. I'm tired of servicing the sexual appetites of perverts. I'm tired of being objectified. I want God. I want to live like an image bearer. Hallelujah. Sovereign grace found a prostitute. Sovereign grace located this lost sheep. And sovereign grace transformed a sexual sinner into a believing saint. And Rahab cried out, Please rescue me and my family. When, when, not if, but when the city falls, please deal kindly with us. And the spies replied, yes, yes. If you do not tell this business of ours, and if you stay in the house, stay in the house, stay in the house, you'll be safe. And then they said, here, and they, and they, and they gave her something. They gave her a scarlet cord. They said, you put this scarlet cord outside the window so we know it's you. Yeah. And, and Rahab lowered them from a window. They had to go out through the window because the city was sealed up tightly. I mean, they, they were trapped, and she saved them. She lowered them from the window, and off they went. And when they reported back to Joshua, Rahab was their primary truth source. Did you get that? You know, sometimes good news gets delivered by the most improbable source. Yeah. I mean, don't miss the irony here. Rahab and the two spies. She's named. They're nameless. Did You get that? They make a treaty with a Canaanite prostitute. So two Orthodox Hebrew spies make a treaty with a Canaanite prostitute. They're trapped in Jericho and yet return safely because of her. I mean, it really makes me curious about the question, who is it who really knows the Lord here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when those spies set off on their mission, they had no idea that they were going to have a conversation with someone who had specific intelligence, not just of Jericho and the mood of the city, but also of Israel. They had no inkling that God's confirmation of victory would come from a madam. I mean, the spies report to Joshua was not due to their Mission Impossible tactics, right? Instead, what they discovered is that God had been at work in the city prior to their arrival through her. You couldn't find anyone whose past was further from God. And yet, faith takes you from doom to deliverance. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, there's a sermon in here. I wonder how many of us are in that sermon. Because we have a story. Everybody here has a story. Everybody here has a past. And it's probably not something that you're, you're proud of. And you can't change it. And you're wondering, can God still use me? Can God still use me? Can I still make a difference for him with my story? And Rahab's life says, grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. Grace turned a prostitute into a preacher of good news that's what she was doing to those spies in her confession she was preaching the good news preaching the good news now now let's take it a little deeper for those of us who did not grow up in Rahab's neighborhood do you think that God can use someone in your life whom you least expect to tell you news you most need to hear And if so, are you in a state of mind where you could listen? Hmm. Yeah. Are you humble enough to receive a word from someone whose story is way, way, way different from yours? Are you humble enough to realize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? See, if it's true that God's power is made perfect in weakness, should we expect anything less? Hmm. Well, let's move on. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 begins with the phrase, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out. And none came in. So, I mean, they are just dug in. Dug in. And Joshua uh, appears with Israel and the army, and he holds a war council. And the officers come around the general. What's the plan, boss? What's the plan? How are we going to do this? Is this going to be siege warfare? Are we going to do direct assault at the front gate? Are we Are going to firebomb the city? What's, what's the plan? Joshua says, here's the plan. Give me seven priests with seven trumpets. They're going to march around ahead of the Ark of the Covenant, and the army's going to follow quiet as a mouse. We're going to march around once a day for six days, And then on day seven, we're going to march around seven times. And then those priests are going to blast their horns. And then at the end of the seventh lap, you just yell your lungs out. That's the plan. Uh, Boss, that doesn't sound like a siege. Uh, that, That sounds like a worship service. You got it. That's the plan. That's the plan. I mean, do you realize how foolish Israel looked in the eyes of Jericho? That, I mean, that was, this was not how Hannibal of Carthage defeated the Roman legions at the Battle of Cannae. You're going to have to look that up. It wasn't how Augustus defeated Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium, thus launching the Roman Empire. No, no, no. It, You don't win battles with marching bands. No offense to marching bands. No no offense to marching bands, okay? No offense to marching bands, okay? All right. But but you don't win that way unless God is the one leading the band. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's what's going on here. That's why the Ark of the Covenant was leading, you see. The Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. And and Jericho then was an exercise for Israel of enduring faith. Enduring faith, trusting God by believing his promise. You see, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, that should eliminate any uncertainty about the outcome of this entire affair. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, God says, I have given Jericho into your hands. So, so Joshua's job was not to concoct a strategy for victory. No, 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 no. Joshua's job was to tell the people what God planned for the victory that he would achieve. See, See, see that old spiritual Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. That's not quite right. Not quite right, because Joshua didn't fight, really, nor any of his troops, really. God did. God did. So so this really isn't a battle between Israel and Canaan, it's one between Canaan and God. And that's why the ark led the way. And so on day seven, after after six days of marching, one, one lap a day, all right, on day seven, after marching around the city seven times, the seven priests with seven trumpets, you get the idea of seven there, the idea of completion and, and, and uh, wholeness. Uh, seven days, seven times, seven priests, seven trumpets give the blast. The army yelled at the top of their lungs, and the scripture says, whoom, the walls collapsed. That's it, that's it. Verse 20 explains what happened Very concisely. The trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and the walls fell flat. That's it. Most of what we read in Joshua chapter 6 are just preparations. Preparations for the march. The actual event itself is very concisely told in verse 20. Walls fell flat. Not on day one. Not on day three. Not on day six, day seven, after the seventh lap, with trumpets and battle cries, the walls fell flat. Oh, there's a sermon there. And it's this. Can your faith endure to day seven, lap seven? Can, can you trust God all day, every day, to the end of the day? because this is what enduring faith does it does not shrink back it it advances it moves forward it just moves forward what if israel had said we're not going to do this this looks stupid we're not going to do this listen 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 be prepared to be misunderstood if you choose enduring faith just be prepared be be prepared to be seen and treat it as an outsider if you base your life on things unseen and hebrews 11 1 tells us that faith is the conviction of things not seen then be prepared to be seen as an outsider even in your own country we endure in faith because we know the reality that we have built our lives on. And this reality does not consist of tangible, visible stuff, it's the unseen. And that's what we build our lives on, church. That's what we build our lives on. We don't, we don't gather here on Sunday and sing praises and hallelujah to the seen. what is unseen and the preacher to that little hebrew fairly dickinson church wants them to know that mighty rome is passing away just like jericho just like jericho but that god has prepared a better city god has prepared a heavenly one God has called us to seek a city with foundation. So you have to ask yourself, who am I in this story? Who am I in this story? Man, I'm Rahab, and I'm in the house. And when the walls start falling down, you can hear the rumbling. But at the end of the day, at the end of day seven, lap seven, there's only one house standing. And that house is standing based on the word of God. You stay in that house. You stay in that house. Jesus is building us a house. And that's a house with foundations. He's our architect. He's our builder. You fix your eyes on Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we, too, will appear with him in glory. Because Jesus is our scarlet cord. Yeah, so here's the big idea. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Enduring faith, see from 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 Rahab's story, from from the people of Israel and Joshua's story, enduring faith acts on the word that's been heard. That's what they have in common. Rahab heard God's word about God's mighty acts of the Red Sea and how God had defeated the Amorite kings. She heard the word, and she, and she found a little church to preach it at, those two spies. And then Joshua heard the word, and he gave the people of God the plan. March to the, march to the music, and the walls will fall. That's it, that's it. And so, so, so both both. Israelite and Canaanite, both Hebrew and Gentile, acted on the word they heard. And that church is faith. That's faith. That's faith. Uh, a pastor scholar named uh, Ray Pritchard put it this way. Faith is belief plus unbelief plus acting on the belief part. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to believe something in order to have faith. So, you know, before you enter an elevator, you have to believe it's going to hold you up. If not, you take the stairs. If If you go to a doctor, you have to believe that she can help you. So belief is always the first part of faith. But people sometimes stop there. They assume that faith is belief plus nothing else. You know, faith to them is just pure belief with no doubt whatsoever. Well, that works if you stay at home and stay in bed, stay under the covers but it's very difficult to get 100% certainty. And if you have to have 100% certainty, you're going to be paralyzed. You're going to live paralyzed. Israel would have been paralyzed had they needed 100% certainty. God, God promised that the walls would fall, but they still had to march. And that's really the story of the conquest of Canaan. God promised every inch of land they stepped foot on once you stop walking, I'll stop giving. That's that's Joshua one three. That's acting on the belief part. So, so faith is not waiting for 100% certainty. Faith is, faith is wavering b- between belief and unbelief and doubt and assurance and hope and despair. And Faith is considering how God has worked in the past and God's faithfulness, God's track record. And then finally, after praying and seeking counsel and reading scripture with your heart in your hand, you act on the belief part. You act. You've got to take that risk. Many people think that living by faith means staying over in the belief column until you get absolute certainty. But that, I mean, that just almost never happens. That's not living by faith. That's stalling by faith. (laughs) Living by faith means acting on the belief part. It means taking the next step of faith, however small, however halting, however unsure of yourself you may be some of you know about the life of missionary hudson taylor hudson taylor was a missionary uh, to uh and, and god used him to to bring the gospel to china hudson taylor once said that there are three stages three stages to most great tasks taken for god stage one impossible stage two difficult stage three done Taylor once said, Many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources, and thus attempt little and often fail in the little they attempt. All God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence with them. When we are willing to take that small step of faith, trusting that God's work will never lack God's supply, we open ourselves to the possibilities for God to work miracles in the face of the impossible. I mean, if you serve the Lord in any way, shape, or form, you're going to quickly learn it's not as easy as you think. Even when you do it for God. Even when you pray and seek wisdom and journal, I mean, it's slow. There are obstacles. We feel stuck and then we question, you know, God, why is this happening? I'm doing this for you, you know. Here's what we learn. Here's what we learn. God lets us struggle to train our trust. So the battle of Jericho wasn't against the Canaanites. It was at a deeper level, a battle of the heart. A battle of the heart. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to trust God or not? Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Can God trust me to trust Him? Hmm. See. Have I trusted God with the small so that He will trust me with the big? You know, preachers all over the country stand up and plead with congregations, you know, you can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. But I, I, really don't think the hard question for us is whether or not we can trust God. He's proven Himself mightily. Amen. Amen. I think the hard question Amen. is, I think the hard question is whether or not God can trust us. Can He trust us with the challenges of His work in His world, or are we sold out to the various idols in our culture? Yeah. And what we see in Hebrews eleven. 30 and 31, are two different individuals who despite their diverse backgrounds were united by their faith. Both proved their trust in God. Joshua, called by God, a holy man, successor to Moses, a Hebrew. He had once lived in Egypt. He endured the wilderness and led the people to the land of promise. Joshua. Rahab, Called by God, a Gentile Canaanite, from an immoral vocation, she was delivered to God's kingdom because of enduring faith. Both in God's family. That's grace. I'll tell you something else about Rahab. We see her elsewhere in the Bible. We see, she shows up in James chapter 2, verse 25. James 2.25, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Oh, and then she shows up in the most obscure passage, the most obscure passage, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. You see, after becoming a part of Israel, Rahab did find love. She marries a man named Salmon, and they had a son a little baby boy named Boaz. And you can read about Boaz in the book of Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth marry, and they have a son named Obed. And Obed had a son, his name was Jesse, and Jesse had a son, his name was David. The David that slew Goliath. The David of Israel. King David. And David's descendant, Jesus. Yeah, 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 I got goosebumps now. Yeah, yeah. Rahab the prostitute is an ancestor to the Holy Son of God. Now that's grace. Hmm. Your wall, your wall, O oh wicked Jericho, your ancient mighty wall, your shame where you have made your infant's blood renowned, your boast, your monument, your babel tall, and endless on its side bent round into a ring a thrust betrothing you to dust. Your wall, your peace, your life, you thought would ever thrive, now hollowed with four centuries of pride into a labyrinthine hive of honeyed lust inside with brothels all will fall but for one slender segment with its rooms and beds and washing bowls and creams and ointments and perfumes inflaming flaming dreams now screams where Rahab and her kindred hide all hanging by a thread the spies supplied and said would save if they obeyed. They wait the blade. In dread, but there instead of sword, the core.